0: What's up, Rad Dads, and welcome back to another episode of the Rad Dads Podcast, hosted by none other than the two raddest dads on the East Coast. I'm Sal. Yeah,
1: I'm Rob. And we have a special guest with us tonight.
0: What's up, Dan?
1: How's it going, guys?
2: Dan, I was going to go through and give a background of you, but I think it would be better if you gave a background. Besides, I mean, you being my fraternity brother, I, I could give a background, but I think you would probably be better suited to provide it. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and, and what you do?
1: Oh, God. Wow. I really was not expecting to have to give a little bio here. Uh, You want me to
2: give an overview and then you correct me if I'm wrong?
1: Yeah, that sounds even better.
2: (laughs) Okay. All right. Dan and I went to Drexel University together. We were both members of Alpha Cairo. After graduating or not graduating, I don't know, Dan went on to enroll in the Army and served four years, did a tour in Afghanistan. Anywhere else?
1: No, just Afghanistan.
2: Afghanistan. I think that's enough. Thank you for your service. And then has worked on several campaigns and the GOP, I think in Arizona, Montana, where else? Anywhere else? Pennsylvania. Most recently. And what's bringing Dan to the show is he recently went to the Ukraine. And when I, when I saw that and I, and you know, Dan and I are are friends on Facebook and we keep in touch back and forth a little bit. I saw that and I was very intrigued. I I watched his journey and watched your trip and watched you fly into Poland and then travel down to the, to the Ukraine. I, I was I was inspired, and I couldn't believe somebody actually that I knew actually did this. I'm sure the people of the Ukraine were very thankful for you coming over and helping out. But why were you willing to go to into the Ukraine?
1: Honestly, I feel like that's the question people probably ask me the most, and it's so hard for me to actually put my finger on. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of reasons, but like there's nothing that really stands out as like the number one reason. You know, I, I think for me, I'm kind of disappointed in the way our country has responded to what's happening. And I think that more needs to be done. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying that needs to be like military intervention or whatever, but like, there's more that we can do as individuals. Not that, you know, everyone can probably do, you know, what I did. Obviously that's a big commitment for a number of reasons. So, um, but I mean, I just felt like that was a way I could contribute and give back just because, at the end of the day, like, I do feel like it was a calling, you know, like I can't really put it any other way that like makes more sense than that because I don't know that's just the way it felt.
0: Dan, that's amazing. And and uh, thank you for your service. It takes a special individual to do something like that and, and having conversations with Rob, Rob said that you, you pretty much dropped everything, uh, whatever you were doing, hopped on a plane, obviously with some planning and, and just went to Ukraine and, and Helped strangers. That's, yeah, I, uh, that's tremendous.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting because I thought pretty much uh, like every expectation I had kind of went out the window pretty quickly in terms of like the planning, which really was not <laughs> very thoroughly thought out, which I realized very quickly. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I was supposed to go over with like uh, organization originally and. Basically, when I got, like, pretty much when I got to Krakow, I realized that, like, they weren't, they didn't have their shit together, essentially. And so I had, like, fundraised money in order to be able to do this because, like, I was taking time off from work. So, like, I wasn't going to be getting paid. So, like, I did that to kind of offset the expenses. And I just, like, got to Poland and started to feel like it was kind of falling apart. And I was just like, well, I just basically like fundraise all this money I could like blow this whole thing off and just like spend 3 weeks in Poland which like sounds great but I would feel terrible about for one thing and like that's not what I went over there to do so I was just like I just got to figure it out you know and so basically I Was still kind of like working with the NGO I was originally planning on working with. Uh, I was originally thinking that I was going to go over and like actually like help get refugees evacuated. Um, But like I said, that particular organization wasn't really prepared or set up or however you want to put it. But uh, so like, I was still communicating with them until like I got across the border. Like once I got into Lviv, the, It was just like clear that they didn't know what to do with me. So like I basically just went down to the train station and that's like where, you know, most of the refugees are coming in from like the east and, you know, where they're leaving for Poland or wherever else in Europe they're going to. So there's just like a lot of activity down there. And so I just like went down there and started talking to a bunch of people because like not a lot of people speak English either and i don't speak like any ukrainian I, so when i get done like telling you this i should tell you about like the first night i spent in lviv because it's like pretty in retrospect it's pretty hilarious but like at the time it was <laughs> terrifying but uh anyway so like i went down to the train station and i'm just like talking to all these random people <laughs> Nobody speaks English. And, like, finally I go over to this, like, Red Cross tent, and there's a guy in there volunteering from England. So, like, he kind of, like, points me in the right direction. And I ended up just, like, working at this, like, soup kitchen, essentially, for, like, three weeks, just, like, feeding refugees coming in from, like, the Donbass, Mariupol, Kharkiv, wherever. So. But, so the first night I spent in Lviv... (laughs) i didn't know anything i was not prepared at all uh there's a curfew at that starts at like 10 p.m and i didn't know that and my bus that's bringing me into lviv doesn't even get there until like 11:30. so like i'm already getting there after curfew again i don't speak like any ukrainian and I just like assume I'm going to be able to like go to this hotel that I booked for the night. Cause like, I have no plans. I have no idea like where I'm staying long term, And so I get off the bus and like, I get off the bus at the train station and it's like this beautiful building. And I'm not thinking anything of it because like, I'm not. And I just like thought it was a beautiful building. So I like took a picture of it. Like all of a sudden all these guys are on top of me, like asking me why I was taking pictures. Like, asking for my passport asking to see my phone like going through my phone and like looking at all these pictures deleting pictures and it was just like intense and this is like the first five minutes i'm like off the bus and so i'm just like all right like some like none of them are speaking english and i don't speak ukrainian and so like they're just like asking me all these questions i don't understand And, like, finally some guy comes over who speaks English, and he's like, why are you taking a picture? And he's like, I I don't know. I just thought it was, like, a beautiful building, like, and they're just looking at me like I was an idiot. And (laughs) so uh, I finally convinced them that I wasn't, like, a Russian spy, essentially, and uh, they, like, let me go. And I don't even know, like, where they were, like, letting me go to at that point, because, The entire city is, like, locked down. There's nobody anywhere. They have Uber, but, like, after curfew, there's no Ubers running. There's no public
0: transportation. So, like. So, wait. Hold on a second. There's Uber. There's still Uber uh in the midst of, of, of this disaster.
1: I mean, I don't think they have Uber in, like. Downtown Kyrsten, but like in Kyiv and Lviv and, you know, the less affected, more metropolitan areas. Yeah.
0: I'm even still surprised that they even have hotel service.
1: Like there is Uber in like the less affected areas that are more, you know, like metropolitan, like Kyiv and Lviv. But, um, you know, that's pretty much it. I don't know if they're in like those other places before, though. You know what I mean?
0: How hard was it to get into Ukraine?
1: It wasn't that hard at all, honestly. I, it, I, I was expecting to have, I was expecting to have a harder time on the way in and on the way out. But like, I got to the border, and you know, you go through the Polish side, which is like pretty fast, and then you go through the Ukrainian side, and they're, I mean, they're pretty. Uh, easy to get through considering everything, but it is still pretty, you know, they're still scrutinizing people because, you know, they don't, like, necessarily know who, you know, people are. And apparently Russians are pretty good at faking American passports, so they're, like, particularly, uh, not difficult, but, like, uh, critical, I guess, of, like, Americans because they could be, you know, know, Russians posing as Americans, I guess. But so, like... (laughs) There, we're on a bus, and uh, this you know, like Ukrainian woman, you know, military officer gets on the bus and she starts like walking down the aisle. And this was like really sketchy to me, honestly, because they like walk on the bus and then they just like collect everyone's passports and then they just like walk away with everyone's passports, and I'm just like, <laughs> and for like a minute, they're like. This is like this is when they could just totally get like I'm completely vulnerable. Right now. <laughs> like it was like that was very concerning for like a minute, honestly. But before she walked away from me and took my passport, she kept being like, Why are you here? And I was like, I'm just here to do some volunteer work, you know, whatever. And she just looked at me like I had like like six heads or something. She was like, No, but like, why are you here? And I was just like I'm here to help. Like I don't know what to tell you. But she just eventually just like took my passport and walked away. But she seems super annoyed
0: with me and my answer. (laughs) I I mean you can understand, right? That's for sure. That that's that's crazy, man. I would have definitely been like this is where it ends. Yeah. I mean, aside
1: from that first night, and so like there's a lot more to that story. I'll come back to it. But like the, aside from the first night, and I think it was really just like me learning my boundaries, which I learned very quickly. um, (laughs) I really didn't have like any issues the entire time I was there. And honestly, I'd say I probably pushed the boundaries a couple other times, but like I really didn't have issues the rest of the time I was there. Uh, So after I leave the train station, the night I get off the bus, after I, like, get harassed by all these guys, I start, like, because there's no way to get to the hotel that I'm supposed to be staying at other than walking at this point. So, like, I just, like, put, you know, the address into Google Maps and I start walking. And it takes me on this, like, ridiculous (laughs) direction where I'm, like, for, I'd say at least a mile, I'm walking through this, like, park area that Google Maps did not update on their maps because, like, halfway through there's like a construction site oh before you even get to the construction site actually like i don't know i don't know what it was i assume it was like a junkyard because there was a dog that sounded like a rat that wanted to like rip my throat out like right when you entered this park and like the pitch black <laughs> and so like this dog just like barking crazy and i'm just like this if this dog can get out, like i'm done like i'm that's like what's going through my head and so, like, I just keep walking and eventually get to this, like, construction site in the middle of the park. And so, <clears throat> in my mind, I'm, like, I don't want to backtrack. I don't want to walk past that dog again. And I don't want to, like, deal with all that time of, like, going all the way back. Uh, so, I'm, like, I'm just going to, like, you know, cut through this construction site. So, I get through to the other side and there's, like, no way out. So, I have to, like, go around. And finally I get back onto the street and in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is great. Like, you know, it'll be easy now, except now like I'm in plain sight. So like every five minutes there's like a cop or there's a, an, a soldier or someone stopping me, asking me what I'm doing out after curfew and like none of them speak English and it's just like so frustrating. So it takes me like two hours to walk to my hotel. And I get there and it's locked and there's nobody there. And I'm just like, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? (laughs) So I like walk around this hotel like three or four times trying to figure out if there's a way I can get in. And I don't see anything. And so like I'm calling like the NGO or just like anyone I can think of that might be able to help. And... They're all just, like, telling me I should go to this hostel that's close by. And I'm, like, I'm not walking anywhere else. Like, I don't want to deal with any more cops. Like, I'm done. Like, I'll sleep, you know, on, like, a stoop here or something. But, like, I'm not, like, walking around anymore tonight. And so, finally, like, there's this security guard that, like, just happens to be, like, at the front desk. And, like, get his attention. He, like, comes over and he unlocks the door. And he doesn't, he doesn't speak any, any English at all and so like I finally at this point, like have Google Translate downloaded and I'm like trying to type into my phone that like I had a reservation there but he won't like look at it. so like after 10 minutes of like trying to argue with this guy just to like look at my phone, he finally does and he's like he has like no way of checking me in he doesn't know what to do so he just like goes behind the desk and finds a key and like takes me up to that room and it's just like a total fucking mess in there like it hasn't been cleaned at all yet until so like he goes down to the janitor's closet and gets like sheets and like we make the bed together and that is how i spent like the first three hours in ukraine yeah. <laughs>
0: That is fucking insane, man. I mean, did did you have like any type of gear with you, any protection? Like, uh, I mean, a bat or a fucking gun, something, nothing? Oh my God.
2: (laughs) Holy shit. Forget the gun. I would think a body Uh, condom after uh, his (laughs) dirty room. Oh, that was the least of my
1: concerns at that point. I was just glad I was, like, basically, you know, in a safe place or what I assumed was the safest place in my mind at that point possible.
0: That's fuck, that's crazy. <laughs> God bless you, man. I am happy we're here. There were this
1: so many times just between, like, getting off the bus and getting in the hotel room where I was like, this was a huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So now is that where you stayed for the whole time you were there?
1: Oh no. I only stayed there oh. that way. It that was a whole nother that was a whole other fiasco. Because so Lviv is a city of like seven hundred and fifty thousand people or something like that. Like normally. But now because of the war, there's so many refugees from eastern Ukraine there that like it's it, it at least at the time, I think it's getting a little bit better now. Um It was like really hard to find places to stay. And even if you could like get a hotel, you couldn't just like, I couldn't just be like, okay, I'm, I'm here until like the 29th or whatever it was. Like, I'm just going to book it out through the 29th. They didn't have availability all the way through. So like, there were so many times where like, I would just like check into a hotel room for a day. And like, literally, I would just be like, like leaving that morning, the next morning.
0: (laughs) So you've obviously seen a lot of stuff there. I have to ask you this, is there a difference between what the media outlets are reporting and what is really going on?
1: so I mean honestly, I really would say, in terms of like conflict and like uh like I don't know like the battle and that kind of aspect of it, like I really didn't see that much. I mean, I saw like the humanitarian side of it. I saw like refugees and stuff like that, but I didn't see like there was <clears throat> one day. Uh, that l'viv got hit with missiles like while I was there but like that was the extent of the combat experience that I saw or however you want to put it I don't know. Um, I mean there were still like uh, arid sirens that went off pretty much every day like multiple times pretty much every day but like that was just kind of commonplace after a while and I mean even in the beginning I would say and I, I mean I don't know I got there a month into the war. So, like, I I think they were all pretty much, like, you know, complacent at that point because there weren't any rockets in Lviv before the day it, they struck Lviv while I was there. There were some, like, in the county, but, like, not in the city itself. So, like, people there, I think, were in, like, a false sense of security, I guess. Um But you know, after the strike, it got a little bit more, I don't know what the word is, uh, concerns. Yeah, like, they, yeah, so people took it more serious, yeah, and so, um, you know, I think that was, like, really the only thing I saw in those sort of terms, but, like, the... I mean, even when I was in Afghanistan, like there were times the five I was at, like took mortars and stuff like that, but it was never you know anything, anything anywhere near as powerful like as these missiles are. I think that was kind of, like... dude, no. <laughs> hey, stop. Uh, I think that was kind of like the craziest thing, just because, dude, stop. Uh, is, that
0: your, is that your chew toy? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I used to have this like, no squeak toy policy, just because like especially when I'm on the phone or doing something like this, that's like the perfect time for him to start squeaking. But I actually bought that for him because I wasn't going to be watching him when I was in Ukraine, and so I gave that to him <laughs> while my okay. friend was watching him. But like I was expecting him to have destroyed it by now, but he still hasn't. So. It was uh, it was pretty crazy because, you know, like I had seen obviously like I've seen plenty of explosions before, but, you know, nothing on that kind of scale. And also like it not being friendly fire, so to speak, it was kind of a scary feeling. But the. Because, like I said, I've never been anywhere that like they've fired missiles, but like the sound of the rounds coming in is. It's really kind of terrifying, honestly. Like, and not that I was like afraid, but like, it just is like a terrifying sound. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to explain it.
0: Oh, sure. Of course. I'm, I'm sure it's something that you'll never forget.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, so that morning, so that was early in the morning, like the second week I was there. And uh that just so happened to be a morning that i was like having to change hotel rooms and so i was kind of like just like laying in bed like just not wanting to get up and start like moving and pack everything up and all of a sudden like i heard just like this loud bang and it wasn't like necessarily close by so i thought like maybe it was like a trash truck you know like picking up a dumpster or something like that but like i didn't like necessarily think it was an explosion. But then, like as the shockwave moved out, all these car alarms started going off like all around me, and I could like, and then I knew it was an explosion, and I was in this like <laughs> really shady. <laughs> There's a lot of shady things. Uh, I'll just put it out like that. But I was in this shady hotel that only had like one, <laughs> only had one window in it, and it happened to be a skylight that was over the bed, and I didn't realize you could actually open the window until the explosions started going off because like I'm in this room and I can't see like anything that's going on in the outside world, even though I can hear things blowing up. And so like, I just want to like see what's happening. And so like, I figure out that you can like pop this thing open. So like, I like stick my head out and I'm basically like sticking my head outside of a roof. And it's just like this really crazy, (laughs) crazy experience But, like, I can see where the explosions are happening because there's already, like, smoke coming up, and there's still two... Like, by the time I actually can get out, two more rounds come in after that. And it's just, like, I don't know how to explain it. The sound is insane. And so from where I was, it looked like the train station could have been hit because, like, it was kind of, like, directly on that same path. It ended up hitting a little bit behind the train station. But I mean, I think other people over there think I'm crazy, but like, in my mind, it seems like Putin is targeting train stations. And so I assumed like pretty much every day that I was there, that it was a target. And so like when the explosions went off, I assumed that it was like a pretty high likelihood that the train station had been hit. And so anyway, like I popped my head up and the last two rounds go off and it, I feel like it's one of those things that you don't like think about until like you're at a baseball game and like you like see the ball, well, like someone hits a home run and you see the ball start flying before you actually hear them like hit the ball. You know what I mean? But like the explosion was crazy because you can see the impact, like, you can see this massive fireball, like, I'm shooting up, but, like, it still takes, like, 12 seconds for the, like, shockwave to hit you. It's so crazy. And, I mean, I was probably, like, I don't know, like, six or seven kilometers away. So, like, I wasn't, like, that close, but it's just crazy. I don't know. Somebody told me, I didn't, I have no way of confirming this. I don't know if it's true or not, but the, uh, one of the rounds was like caught on camera and it was like 10 meters away from hitting the tower of the train station. So pretty crazy.
2: Anyway, did you stay in Lviv, or did you go to Kiev or any other cities?
1: Uh, no, I was in Lviv the whole time. Um, I, Originally, I had thought about going other places, but, like, I just... No, so I was originally thinking I was going to be traveling around to, like, help get people out. That was my original thought process. But I just ended up working with, like, a really great group of people. So I just kind of enjoyed, you know, having that kind of, like, camaraderie of being with the same people pretty much every single day. And th- honestly, that was one of the things that I think that really kind of surprised me. I thought I was going to be like going in and working with a bunch of volunteers that were coming from, you know, all over the place. And there were a lot of international volunteers there, but like the overwhelming number of people volunteering are Ukrainians and most of them are like refugees themselves.
2: So there's not a lot of people from Europe at all.
1: No, there are, but I'm just saying like Like there's a I mean I met people from England, I met people from Netherlands, I met people from as far away as Japan and Australia. Like there are people from all over the place. A lot of Nordic countries too. Um, but I I met people from France, like I did, I met people from everywhere, Spain, um, but like I I think Like it's hard to imagine like the scale of like how many volunteers there actually are because like it is, such like a crisis. Like there are so many volunteers. It's not that there aren't a lot of Europeans there. It's just that like there are just so many volunteers needed, and a lot of like a lot of refugees who've been displaced and have nowhere else to go are like even now contributing in that way you know
2: did you meet any other americans uh
1: i met a i met a bunch of americans honestly i was so there were a lot of americans over there that were like clearly just interested in like getting a selfie saying that they were in ukraine uh i i met two people in particular and one guy actually volunteered at the same place I was volunteering at for like three days. He said he was in Warsaw for uh, I don't know, a few weeks leading up to that, and he he felt like he needed to get closer for three days. And as like as soon as he got there, <laughs> he like sat down and ate the food that, like, we were serving the refugees and just, like, talked to people for, like, I don't know, like, an hour. And then he... I don't know what he was doing. He was, like, grading beets or something like that. He, like, was asking people to take pictures of him. And he got there. So he got there the day before the Rockets hit. And so, like, the day of the Rockets... I was at my hotel when it happened and I like hadn't even been packed and I just like threw everything in a bag and like checked out and like got down to the train station in like 20 minutes. He didn't come to the train station until like five hours later and he showed up with fresh squeezed pomegranate juice that he got at the market and he was offering it to people. And I'm just like, you don't even understand what's happening. (laughs) So that was uh that was person number 1. The second guy uh I met while we were under an air raid and one of the guys that I had met who spoke pretty good English. Uh we were in this tunnel under the train station and we were like watching this news segment about how Putin had tested nukes that he fired from Finland that went hit all the way in Kamchatka. <laughs> It was like an English report and this American kid that was from Jacksonville came over because he wanted to see if I had a charger and he knew that I spoke English because like he heard that we were listening to a, an English report and he was telling me about how he came over to fight even though he was wearing like he said he like went he was like 18 years old he went over there because he wanted to fight or so he claimed. He had just been in Kiev for two weeks and, like, kept getting the runaround and, like, couldn't figure out how to get to the front. And he was just, like, wearing, like, all this, like, really expensive, like, pretty boy shit that, like, if you're going to go fight a war, like, you would absolutely never wear. And he's, like, talking to me about how he wants to get an M2. And I was just like, ah, that's stupid. I would rather have an AK He's like, do you know an M two is? I was like, yeah, it's a fifty cal, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in this conversation that's actually fired one before. And I think an AK would be more valuable. <laughs> and he's just like a total douchebag, basically. And I'm pretty sure he was not there to fight, but he wanted to tell people he was there to fight because it, if you want to go over there and fight, it's so. I actually originally wanted to go over there and fight, to be honest, but I. Got pretty confused by some misinformation that's out there because originally in my mind i was thinking like i was gonna go over and fight for like three months and then come back
2: all right thanks for tuning in to part one of the dan duffy interview and his trip to ukraine tune in to the next episode to find out what he did do instead of fighting for the ukraine and thank you very much for tuning in and for us Rad Dads here tonight, have a good night and tune in the next episode for another episode of the Rad Dads Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. We're there. And always subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening application.